good morning and welcome to Portico. My name is Rick and I'm glad to be with you this morning. I'm our campus pastor out in Milton and as well uh, oversee some of our serve ministries here and I'm glad to be back with you on a wonderfully snowy Sunday morning of the second day of spring. Wasn't that a wonderful surprise this morning? No, not so much. <laughs> well, we're, we're in week two of our series, Transformation, and uh, we're going to be looking at identity. Seventeen years ago, I started Bible college, and I was a new Bible college student, and I chose to do it by extension. I was going to be an intern for four years and studying at the same time instead of just doing an internship at the end of, uh, at the end of my studies. And has anyone ever served as an intern in any kind of organization, any kind of, com- any kind of company? Anybody served? So you know what being an intern means, right? It means you get any job that is assigned, and sometimes that means garbages, sometimes that means cleaning, sometimes that means great opportunities for experience with uh, within the field, but it was a very formative time in, in my life where I got to be in studies three nights a week and serving in ministries a couple nights a week and serving all day at the church, and it definitely shaped a lot of my identity. And for three of the years that I was serving as an intern, I was in charge of our junior high ministry. And it was during the late 90s, and there was a symbol that had once characterized a certain um, group of people at a, at a certain time, and it was making its comeback. And that symbol you can see on the side screens was a symbol that came to characterize me during those late 90s. Did anybody get into the happy faces back in the, in the 90s? Yeah, a few of you. I had happy face mugs, a happy face stress ball. I put happy face stickers all over my sweet ride. I had a 1993 Geo Metro. It was, it was quite the car. It had three cylinders, it fit on the sidewalk, it was awesome. But it had happy face stickers everywhere. It even had, I replaced the light in there, the, the interior light, with a happy face pound light. So when I wanted the light on, I just, boom, hit that thing. And that, that happy face began to become part of my identity. In fact, during that time, our senior pastor, who was Pastor Doug at the time, was... Um, was making new nameplates for all of our doors as uh, for the for, for all the staff members so there was senior pastor and associate pastor and youth pastor and all that and i was an intern we weren't quite sure what to call me so it had just had my name and a happy face right beside my, my door and so that was something that began to characterize a lot of who i was this past Monday, I went to the ROM, and we were, we were studying, uh, we, we were looking at the different uh, civilizations and some of the traditions that they had. And when, they, when we were looking at one of the cultures, they had uh, a seal that was their family seal. And whenever they were going to write a letter, they would put this seal on it, and it was in wax. And oftentimes, it would have pictures or images that were important or part of their family's identity. And we also looked at the coat of arms and that tradition. And some of you may even know if your family has a coat of arms. So for those of you who are visually inclined, we've left a little spot in your notes this morning. You can create your own coat of arms. So if I get boring or you're artistic, just feel right ahead to make your identity in that coat of arms. It's like a fifth grade assignment or a throwback for some of you. But each of us has an assortment of things from which we derive our identity. And last week when we looked at the topic of ambition, we looked at personalities and how each of us is created with innate characteristics that kind of shape the way that we see the world, whether we're the dominant type A or we're the, the inspirational um, fraternizer going with people or whether we're the, the, the steady, the, the, the balanced type or the conscientious. We looked at all those things. And on top of personality, some of us have certain interests that shape our identity as well. Things that we do, things that we participate in. Do we have any runners in the room this morning? 
Running would be part of your identity. There's a few people and you were all disappointed with that snow because you know that delays running season a little bit more. Some of you are musicians. Any musicians in the room? That would be part of your identity. A few people. What about techies? Any, any techie people in the room? You just love the new gadgets. Right now, Rick, Chris is watching you because you're trying to hack into our system and you're going to try and mess with uh, our side screens and see if you can tap into the frequency and flip the channels or something like that. We all have different things that make up who we are and characterize part of our identity. Well, this series, we're focusing on the call of some of Jesus' close followers, and we're moving on to Levi and Matthew this week, and we're going to look at his unique call and his unique identity and how that was transformed as he went through his days following Jesus. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you'd like to borrow a copy of the Bible this morning, we just ask you to slip your hand up, and one of our ushers will give you a copy to borrow. Or you can follow along on the version and just search Portico or Mississauga, and you'll find the, um, the series titled Transformation and Identity, as we're going to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. I want you to stand with me this morning as we read uh, those six verses. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax gatherers and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Lord, this morning we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this opportunity to study together. And God, we ask that each of us take the time to offer ourselves up to you, God. And if you have something to speak to us, if you have something to shape the way that we live our lives and to shape the way that we go about our days, we ask that you would, you would whisper those words to our hearts, Lord, and we would um, be just listening ears. We would have listening ears to be able to hear what you have for us this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A little bit of a history lesson first that will help you uh, understand part of Levi or Matthew's calling. Levi is also the disciple Matthew. And for those of you who know a little bit of Bible history, where might have Matthew received the name Levi? Why, why might he have been called Levi? Because he would have been from the order of the Levites. We know there's the 12 Jewish tribes, and they were established from Jacob's children, established these 12 groupings as the nation of Israel kind of, kind of grew. And each tribe was ascribed a certain a portion of land and where they were going to live, and they were also ascribed certain duties. And as Israel left Egypt and they established the nation where, where it kind of is now in, over in the Mediterranean, one of the Levites, or part of Aaron's descendants, were, were the Levites. And they were to be set apart. They were to serve in the temple, and they were to offer sacrifices on behalf of the nation, and they were to teach the laws, and they were going to intercede in prayer and intercede in worship. And part of the um, part of the things that, that were set aside for the Levites were they weren't going to take a salary. They were going to live off the offerings and the tithes that were brought to the temple. So we know that Matthew is coming from this order of the Levites and Aaron's descendants, and he bore the name Levi. And they were uniquely called and designed, part of their identity, was to handle the sacred things for the nation. 
And this is the Old Testament time. This is before what we would understand in Second Peter, they call the priesthood of all believers, where any of us can come and offer worship and have personal connection with God. This is before that. For that to occur, there had to be the sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus coming to die for our sins. And there needed to be somebody to go between. There needed to be a priest to offer sacrifices. And it required them to be ceremonially clean and pure. And it required them being part of this order, the Levites. So let's look at the calling of Levi then. When Jesus came and found him, he was a tax collector. He wasn't a conduit between God and Israel. He was a conduit between Rome and Israel. He was collecting taxes for the Romans from the, from the Jewish businesses. They, they would hire tax collectors from Jewish people, but they were, they were trying to get their money, their take from all the Jewish business. And when we were studying this, we found out that Rome would often target Levites. And when they were looking to hire somebody to collect taxes, they knew that the Levites had spent all of their days as youth growing up studying and learning how to read and learning math and learning things. They knew they were educated people. So when they thought, who could we bring onto our side? They went right after the people that were supposed to have the identity as offering sacrifice and offering worship for the nation of Israel. They went after them. So here's Levi sitting there working for the Romans. Now it's tax season. How many people would do their taxes at home? Show of hands. How many people do their taxes at home? And you know why we do it at home? Most of us don't do it at home because we're great with numbers and we know that we'll get the best return. Why do we do it? We do it because we don't want to pay the hundred bucks or whatever it costs for us to prepare, have somebody else prepare our taxes because we know if we're getting a return, that just knocks off a little bit of what we would get in our return. Or if we're paying taxes, that just means we're paying more. We know that the good people from H&R Block are going to take our money. Well, here's Levi sitting there. That's who he is. He was collecting the taxes and taking a little bit off the top for him. Remember, his identity was designed to be someone that wasn't going to receive any salary, but just live off the offerings of the people of Israel. He's doing the exact opposite. He's taking money from the people of Israel. The man whose destiny it was to honor God on behalf of the people, doing the exact opposite. Talk about a guy who had strayed from his calling and strayed from his identity. And it's important to pick up that bit of history as we look at his transformation. Because we'll see that Matthew is going through what we call an identity crisis. And that's the first fill in the blank there in your notes if you're following along, whether electronically or uh, on, on, on the paper that's in your bulletin. He's going through an identity crisis. His family history meant that his future choices for employment should have already been made for him. He already had a destiny and identity set out before him, but he goes through this identity crisis and totally changes what he was set out to do. Something pushed him towards this new lifestyle or drew him to a different existence. I talk with people all the time, and they're wondering what their kids are going to do. And in fact, they're not really even wondering what their kids are going to do. They've set out what their kids are going to do. They've already decided for them. Sometimes people will immigrate to Canada or the United States and they'll leave great jobs and great family establishments back at home coming because they've got a future set out for their kids. Or if we've we've grown up here, then we'll sacrifice and we'll pray and we'll plan and we'll save because we know what we want our kids to do. We have a future mapped out for them in our minds. But what happens when they develop a mind of their own and they start going their own way as kids tend to do? Or what happens when God speaks to them and says, no, I have something different for you. I'm challenging what you've always thought to be true. 
Our daughter's nine years old, and for many years, she's been wrestling this great struggle, what she's going to be when she grows up. And right now, or for years, she's been struggling between either becoming a lawyer or a lifeguard. And since we know that nobody likes lawyers, we've had her in swimming lessons since she's five years old. <laughs> Just kidding, if you're a lawyer in the room. We know there's lots of people that love lawyers. When, when criminals need somebody, they need somebody to turn to, right? <laughs> Just kidding, we love lawyers. <laughs> but there's a few different times that Hope has voiced this interest. But then we know that she, also, she loves animals, and she loves to study, she loves to read, and she, she has this empathy. And in, in the last year or so, she's been really talking about what would it look like to become a veterinarian, and how long would I have to go to school, because she likes studying, just not in formal school, like, as most kids would be, and so we're, we're, Amanda and I are trying to think, so she's not going to be a lifeguard, okay, but, but being a veterinarian, hey, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing, like, that's something we could brag about, that, that's something that she could make a lot of money on, I mean, it might make us super poor in the immediate, but, but long term, there might be some financial return, and we'd be able to brag on her. But what if in the midst of this, God speaks to her and calls her to something totally different that wouldn't make any money, but also wouldn't bring any money in return, and it would totally change how Amanda and I felt, because now we're starting to save. We've got the RESP going, and we're starting to tell people, oh yeah, Hope's really smart in this, and we're, we're starting to get excited about this, and we're starting to pray over her. And then what happens if it totally changes and goes away that we never thought, and she starts following her own future and her own design? Are we okay when our kids start to go through this identity crisis or as individuals as you've gone through your identity crisis and you start to change what you thought that you might do or what you thought was the path set out before you. I've worked with young people for years and actually this is one of the developmental goals. If you look at the natural progression from kids from birth and the young childhood and older childhood and then into their adolescence and young adult, they need to go through this. They need to start questioning who they are and who they've become or who they are becoming and they need to test the boundaries. There's two developmental goals for adolescence. One is pushing the limits, and if you have teenagers or have ever watched teenagers, you've watched them explore the boundaries, you've watched them jump off ledges that they really shouldn't be jumping off of and injure themselves, and you've seen them engage in these risky behaviors, and that's part of them kind of discovering limits. But that second need that they have to go through in this phase of life is to is to discover independence. They have to learn how to care for themselves. They have to learn how to govern over their own lives. And the longer we as parents kind of restrain that and restrict that, the longer this person stays in this identity crisis phase. And oftentimes, a parent's need for control seems to inhibit the growth and the independence of some of our young adults. And we see young adults, the trend in society, living longer and longer at home, stuck in this phase, wrestling, who am I and what am I supposed to do? Now, for me, I left my parents' house almost the moment that I could afford it. I, I, got a job, I got a job at 21 years old, not because I have a bad relationship with my parents. Love you, Mom, if you're listening. But, but because I wanted this independence. I wanted to discover who I was going to call to become on my own. I was 21 years old. I was making $25,000. I wouldn't say it was a great life, but it was a life. I had a lot of hot dogs, and I drove a Dodge Neon that kind of managed to stay on the road, but it was, it was part of m- me discovering who I was to become. And every one of us goes through that. Now let's look at Levi's journey again. He's a tax collector, and Jesus finds him in verse 27, sitting at a tax booth, when he was actually called to be sitting in the temple. And we don't know what it was, 
the draw of financial success or a perceived value of a good job, something was more important to him than embracing the identity God had designed for him. Now let's not get too hard on Levi though because it's a pretty common trap that a lot of us fall into. There's all kinds of things that motivate us to turn from the call of God that's on our lives. It could be financial reasons. and It might be greed. We might just be chasing a better paying job rather than being true to the way that we were created. It might be ambition, like we looked at last week, and reputation. Sometimes people's opinions of us matter so much that we'll sacrifice principles of our faith to move forward in our jobs. Maybe it's just even fear. What would happen if we risked our security and lived the life of faith that God had called us to? Some of us here today, we would say, I know what God has designed me to be. I I know the identity that God has instilled in me, but sometimes I get caught up by the calling and the draws that this world has. And we'd rather fit in here and be normal in the world's eyes than fill the identity that God has set out before us. So we become like Matthew. And we're sitting in an office consumed by the things of this world rather than fulfilling the purposes of God. Not that God could never call us to a job that isn't in a church, but that Our eyes are not focused on the mission that God has set out before us. And here's where Jesus encounters him. And he calls him back to a life of following and a life of service. We see it in Luke 5, 27 and 28. His identity is corrected. And that's your second fill in the blank there. He says, follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And just like that, Matthew decides that he's had enough of running from whom he was meant to be, and he drops his tax business and becomes a disciple. Again, it's good to know Jewish context here. It it was common in that day for a rabbi to invite someone to follow them and to learn from them. But what it meant was complete buy-in. It meant dropping everything that used to build their identity, dropping everything that they used to do and following them and spending their days listening to their teaching and and, and understanding how they were leading them towards God. Now, of course, it would be weird if all of us gave up our jobs, decided to pack it in, and hang outside Pastor Doug's office all day because we thought he's the one that we should follow. Let's just quit and and live our our days here in the church. That might be odd. And besides, you can't have that job. Pastor Duane and I already have that job. (laughs) The majority of us will not find our employment from this church as an institution studying under Rabbi Rind. Instead, Each of us is called to submit our hearts, submit our minds, and submit our identities to follow Christ and follow his teaching and discover what that looks like serving in the world. Here's how Paul described it in Romans 12 too. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A life that's submitted to Christ, an identity that's laid down before him, allows God to shape the way we think and shape what becomes important to us. I want you to participate in an exercise for a moment. Whether you're going to jot down notes on a page or just make mental notes in your head, what are some of the things that are extremely important to you? Some of the words, some of the concepts that would come to mind that, you know, these are the, the important things that really kind of drive my day by day. These are the things that consume my time, consume my thoughts. Just make a note if you're a note taker or take a mental note if you'd rather think on it. What are the things that are truly 
important to you and the way that you live out your life. Now I wonder, are the words that just came to mind, are those the same words that are found in Scripture that Jesus said are the important things? You know what he said? He said, don't worry about money and how you'll be able to pay and how, what you will eat and what you'll do for housing. Don't worry about that. Your father will take care of that. He said, don't worry about being counted as important and being recognized. Don't aim to be number one. Aim to be the servant of all. And sometimes the things that come to our minds, the things that consume our thoughts, those are ideas and thoughts that haven't been submitted to Christ. And what he's, what he's encouraging us through these scriptures, when we look at Matthew's uh, story, what we see is submit those to God and let them be transformed so that our lives would be different and that we'd become the people that really he designed us to be. Something in Levi clicked that day inside and he said, I don't need that job anymore. I don't need to do the things that I thought I needed to do. All I need to do is follow Jesus. All I need to do is submit to him. Here's how Christ des- described it later in the book of Luke, in Luke 9, 23. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Stop focusing on what we want, deny ourselves and our selfish wants, and just follow the path that Jesus has. Embrace his identity for our lives. Now, this means some real practical changes when it comes to money. It means we handle our bank accounts differently. If we follow the pattern, the thinking of this world, we want to build up the largest bank account we can. But in Christ's world, when we are transformed, we don't become owners. We just become stewards. And if God gives us the privilege to build up a little bit of a bank account, it's to bless his church and to bless his work and to bless other people. We don't own money. We steward money. That's transformed thinking. That's identity in Christ. It means we look at our jobs differently. In the world, we say, we just need to keep climbing the ladder. We need to get further and further because that's better, up and to the right. That's the way that we want to go. In Christ's world, that's not the way that it works. Sometimes he says you need to become last. You need to serve other people. You need to let other people get to the top because that's what I've called you to be. We don't know. He may raise you to a position. He may not. It's a submitted identity in our job to Christ. It means we deal in relationships differently. The world says, find somebody that loves you, that makes you feel important, and make sure that that works for you. And God says, submit to one another and serve that person so that they feel honored and they feel loved. It's completely transformed thinking. Our identity needs to be rooted in Christ, not in what the world says we should be rooted in. You know, in April, we're going to be hosting baptismal services here. It's going to be a great month. All throughout the month of April after Easter, we're going to be celebrating with people who have made this decision. And if you've not been baptized, but you've said, I believe in Jesus and that he's God's son, that he came to earth and that he died for me, and and you've confessed that, there's no level you have to obtain for you to get baptized. If you've confessed Christ, we'd encourage you to participate in one of the baptism services in April. And you can go to the info center after the service today and get some information because we want to celebrate that with you because the process of being transformed happens every day. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized and been following God for years and years. It doesn't matter if you just made that decision in the last few weeks. It's an ongoing process that we're continually submitting our wills and our jobs and our bank accounts and everything about us, our identities to Christ and allowing him to shape us. And Matthew begins this change in his thinking and his living, and he gets all excited about it, and he throws a party, and his identity, his new identity, is celebrated. 
And we see this in Luke 5, 29. Matthew, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. He got all his friends together, whom he knew needed to experience the same truth that he had experienced, and realized the same promises for his life were true for their lives. And he had a party with them. He celebrated it out with them. With Jesus there introducing them to these, these same things. There's a season in Canadian Christianity right now where we keep our faith quiet. Where the church, we may be loud on Sunday mornings and clap and cheer and that. But when we live it out externally, it's a lot more quiet than what we would see in Matthew here. Hosting a party of a bunch of people that don't know God and getting them to celebrate with him. And I think a lot of that has to do with our identity as Canadians. That's kind of who we are, right? We're known worldwide. We're, we're polite, and we're kind, and we're accepting. And when people come to the country, they feel welcome, and they feel able to, to live out their lives and find anything and express themselves in any way that they would want to. And that's a value that, or that's, that, that's a practice that we value as Canadians, and that's part of our identity. Well, let me ask you. Is your identity rooted in where you live, or is it rooted in the one who gives you life? Is your identity rooted in I'm Canadian, or is your identity rooted in I'm a Christ follower? And if I'm a Christ follower and I have this new identity, then my role is to go out there and live it and celebrate it and let other people see the transformation that has gone on inside of me and demonstrate what it looks like to live a completely transformed life. Yes, I'm Canadian, but I'm a Christ follower. And we have this new life in Jesus. And if you were with us last, uh, last winter leading up to, to Easter, we, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and we studied that for six weeks, and we looked at how I'm adopted, and I'm changed, and I'm restored, and I'm renewed. And you can see the verses on the screen there. And then when we got to Good Friday, we stood around these altars, and we brought the name that we would have labeled ourselves, and we laid it down, and we said, I'm picking up a new name tag. And I'm no longer the person that I've labeled myself, and I'm no longer the person that other people have labeled me. I have a new identity in Jesus. And this morning, we need to be reminded, that's who we are. That's where our identity is rooted. And if your identity is rooted in Christ, then live it out loud. Don't hide it. Don't let other people give you a new label and a new name. It doesn't matter what you were trained to be, what you studied to be in terms of your education. What you do is not who you are. And the respect and the honor that humanity can give us adds up to a whole pile of nothing compared to what the creator of the world can give you when one day he would look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're my son. You're my daughter. Our identity is in Jesus, and we should celebrate it to be so. And if you walked into church this morning and you were wondering whether or not what you do matters— There's a simple answer. It doesn't. But if you walked into church this morning wondering if who you are as a person matters, yes, it does. Who you are absolutely matters to God. And he's offering you a brand new identity and saying, don't worry about what other people tell you and don't worry about what other people say is important in your life. You look to me. I'll help you discover it. I'll help you find your identity. I'll help you find value in who you are and how I created you to be. And he did it all. He invites you to come and to lay that down to him this morning and says, I have something new for you. I sent my son. I want to introduce you to him. 
And it doesn't matter, as I mentioned earlier, if you've been serving God for 50 years or you've been thinking about it for the last 50 minutes. This morning, we are going to sing a song that says, I am all he says I am. And if this morning that resonates with you, that I don't care what other people say, I care what God has to say to me. That's our invitation this morning, just to be counted as one of Christ's followers and to go out and live that in the world. Just, just like Matthew, it was one day. Who knows what triggered inside him, but there was one day that he said, you know, my life's going to be different. I'm going to go out there and show people what God's done inside of me, and I'm going to invite them into the same amazing journey. And if you've made that decision for the first time this morning, we'd love to have a conversation about it with you after the service. You can go out to our Yes Corner, and we'd love to, uh, love to have a conversation with you just about the decision that you're making, or the, the, maybe the decision you're in the process of making, the feelings that are going on inside right now. You can go out there with the people that brought you. If you came alone, we'd love to just have that conversation with you. But I'm going to pray in a moment. And if God's speaking to you about your identity this morning, I encourage you just to pray along with me. And if it's something that, that you've, a decision you've already made, then pray along with me too. And let's confess together, we're going to live with a new identity, our identity rooted in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this time together this morning. God, forgive us for the times that we look somewhere else to bring us purpose. And we look for somebody else to define what's important in our lives. And Father, this morning, we confess we need you, and all we are is rooted in you. And when we look around and we see troubles and we see things are kind of wavy and kind of shaky, we thank you, Jesus, that you are our rock. And God, we lay down everything else at your feet and say, Father, forgive us. Father, we accept your forgiveness, and we want to live in you every day, celebrating the life and the promise that you have for us. God, what an opportunity we have to go and be your light and life in this world, just like Matthew was. And he brought people that maybe never would have understood who you were. He brought them to your feet. He brought them to his house and a party with you. God, help us go and do the same. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.